This is 1 in 44, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. 1 in 44 is a weekly show devoted to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism, and I am speaking with Chief Sinagra from the Socrates Police Department. Chief uh, Sinagra, good morning. Thank you for being on the show. Good morning, and uh, thank you for the invite. I appreciate it. And good morning to all the listeners out there today. And I hope everybody's having a really good day. Uh, I hope so, too. Um, so so thanks for that. Um, Chief, you're on the show today because uh, primarily because we're going to talk about something called Handle with Care, which I think is a really important and exciting and creative and very caring initiative, uh, which we're going to get to in a minute. But before we jump into that, if you could just give our listeners a little background about maybe who you are, how long you've been with the Socrates Police Department, what you did before. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, gosh, it starts all the way back, uh, prior, back in the 80s. Um, and in the mid 80s to late 80s, I was a paramedic uh, in Orange oh. County, New York. And uh, that's where I really had my first experience um, dealing with individuals who suffered from um, you know, many forms of cognitive disorders. And uh, my career as a paramedic led me in 1988 uh, and around 1987, rather, to uh, go into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a great career. I'm still in law enforcement 35 years later. This is uh, sorry, is actually my fifth police agency. I started off as a Palisades Park police officer, and then I was a town of Montgomery police officer. And then probably one of the most rewarding and uh, fun experiences I had is when I was 23 years of age, I was put into the James O'Neill High School just outside of West Point as an undercover police officer. Whoa, cool. In its 12th grade as a 23-year-old, and I fit in perfect, so, <laughs> which is awesome. Oh my God, I like real-life 21 Jump Street. It was one of my favorite oh, shows. Awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> I, it was, uh, I hated at the time being so youthful-looking, but yeah. now that I look back and as I'm aging, I, that was a great time. <laughs> and I wish I could go back to those days. But anyways, it was kind of cool. It was a cool experience. And uh, I've dealt with many people in different walks of life. And then uh, I went to the town of Ulster Police Department in 1989 mm-hmm. um, and a very excellent career there for 22 years. I went through uh, all the ranks from patrolman up to deputy police chief. And then in December of 2011, I came to Sorgades as a deputy police chief under then uh, Chief Lou Barbaria. Mm-hmm. And five months later, um, I had taken the civil service exam to be a police chief and Louis was ready to retire. And he retired and it became a perfect fit. And uh, the town board decided to hire me as the next police chief. And the rest is history for the past 10 years. And Quite I've been trying to work on, yeah, it's really good. And I like the career because it gives me an opportunity to bring in like, you know, new programs, innovative programs uh, into policing. And I think, um, and not to pat myself on the back, I think some of the reason why I'm, I've been successful throughout my career is because I'm always looking towards what can we do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe in being stagnant, you know, so right. I'm always looking for how do we enhance law enforcement? How do we enhance opportunities for our community to work with the police? And that's what kind of segues, segues us into, the, um, into this program that we have through Crime Watch called Handle with Care. Yeah, and it's, just, it's just a great program. All right. Well, we're to get, definitely going to get into the program in a yeah. second, but I got to bring you back because, first of all, any story that starts with back in the 80s, I'm with you because that's where my life basically started, too. So I'm all over that. You were a Palisades Parkway police officer. Yes. Um, so let's just talk about that for one brief moment, because I grew up in, in Rockland and Orange County in different places. And um, that road 
I remember learning to drive. That road still scares me. Yeah. Like to this day. Why can you just say every any insight into why people drive so insanely fast on that road? Well, you know, I think it's well, you know what it is. People are used to driving the throughway and they get on the Palisades thinking that they can do the same speeds. And you know, they were built um, in two different time periods. Mm -hmm. And the Palisades having been built prior to the New York State Thruway. And the Palisades really was made for slower vehicles, smaller vehicles, where the New York State Thruway had imagery to it that eventually vehicles would become big bigger speeds would be more excessive you know now we have 65 mile per hour state speed limit um but yeah palisade is an interesting road here's something here's something i forgot to mention i did tell you i said i was a paramedic um yes. i worked in orange county for mobile life but when helen hayes hospital Havistron stony point developed a paramedic fly car system uh, i was working out of helen hayes hospital on route 9w as a paramedic yes. covering both stony point and Havistron. So I've had some experience in Rockland. So Rockland's part of my history as far as uh, growing up and, you know, part of my history of of my career path. So that's kind of cool. You're from Rockland. I am sure you never pulled me over because that happened very rarely. But um, but yes, it was it was that that place always just stood out to me. And I I traveled that road a lot with my parents. And then when I was older um, and it's a beautiful scenic road, I still take it sometimes if I'm going out to the city. But um, but uh, it just always it always sort of overwhelmed me, kind of the way the Taconic does, too, where just I feel like people don't realize how dangerous it is when you're going that fast with such tight lanes. But um, so thank you for your service for all those years. And it was an experience making a traffic stop in the Palisades because, yes. again, you sell like the traffic. But what was nice about the curbing in the Palisades is that mm-hmm. it was angled to the roadway so cars could go up onto the median. Yes. And uh, that was kind of important as a safety feature to keep us on the roadway. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So so great um, background and experience. And I, I find on this show that I talk to so many people who have at least one thing that um, – often early on in their careers or their lives that sort of helped that, that, that remains a connection to what they're doing now. So for you, it sounds like um, working as a paramedic and interacting with people with developmental and cognitive disabilities was one of the things that you've sort of carried through with you throughout your career and now um, are bringing it into the handle with care program and, and crime watch or through crime watch. So tell us a little bit about, or tell us a lot about uh, handle with care and, and what it is and why it's important. So the handle, well, it's, it's, first we'll start why it's important. Mm-hmm. We know that a lot of individuals who suffer from any type of cognitive disorder, whether it be autism, whether it be somebody who's older and senility is setting in, um, there's certain triggers that individuals will encounter. And it, it has an impact on their behavior, especially towards law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And what's really important about Handle with Care is that if we know ahead of time that we're dealing with a senior um, who is suffering from dementia, or we're dealing with a four-year-old or five-year-old who uh, is autistic or on a spectrum, any place, um, it gives our officers the upper hand, an advantage. We know going into the situation, we have to treat this differently. Mm-hmm. And, and in a good way, treat it differently. Because yeah. we don't want to upset, especially when it comes to children who are autistic, they can become very upset with law enforcement just because of our demeanor. So we've had to like kind of retrain ourselves. And what's really great about this program is it's given us an opportunity to focus on understanding, number one, cognitive disorders. Number two, understanding how do we better deal with people who are on the spectrum, uh, individuals? And how do we have positive outcomes? Because we want to make sure the next time those individuals should encounter the uniform, that they look at it as a positive experience and that they're not fearful and it's not negative. Mm -hmm. So what's really important about the program is the information that we're able to gap. That includes a photo of the individual. Uh, It includes all their pedigree information. Mm -hmm. It includes their triggers, which is really important. Are there certain things that will set this individual off? And if we know that ahead of time, we can avoid a certain way we stand, our demeanor, the language that we use, 
um, and the way we present ourselves, which is really important. And once we understand that, um, we've had some great success now where we've had people that are on our registry. And it's very simple. Um, anybody who has a loved one that suffers from any any type of cognitive disorder where they just might wander off, uh, they may have an affinity towards certain landmarks. It could be water. It could be uh, parks, et cetera. Anything that gives us the upper hand in, number one, locating the loved one, quicker as quickly as possible and then number two how to properly deal with the individual so again it's a positive experience and a person can go back home we don't have to go to the hospital um nobody gets hurt at the end of the day which is important because we've seen too often and i've seen it too often throughout my career um where we did not understand uh what was going on with an individual we thought they were being defiant whether it was a teenager or an adult. And we didn't understand that, hey, that person suffered from some sort of cognitive disorder. So they weren't encoding the information as we thought they should be encoding it. Mm-hmm. And that led to encounters between police and community. And in some cases, we saw where those encounters were lethal. And um, so in order to avoid that from happening, the law enforcement had to take on a greater responsibility and not just policing, but in also caring for our communities. And we can do that through, number one, identifying where the gaps and the shortfalls are in the system, and then addressing those shortfalls. And that is through education. And it's not just only educating the police officer, but it's also educating the public that, hey, listen, we don't have all the answers. Uh, We've been thrown into the role of enforcing the law, which is our primary responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Um, At times, we've become social workers. Yeah. At times, you know, we carry defibrillators in our police cars and first aid kits, and sometimes we're the primary first responder that shows up for a medical emergency. We have to react to that. And what we're seeing a lot of, um, and I think as as my career has advanced, um, I see a lot more instances where we're dealing with individuals who have cognitive disorders. And now that's becoming a, a major concern for law enforcement. And how do we deal with that? And I obviously uh, handle with care the program. That has given us a tremendous opportunity uh, to fully understand uh, our community members, who lives here, and how do we better serve them. So I'm somewhat, I, I bounced around a little bit on the topic because there's so nope. many thoughts it's that great. come into my mind. I wrote down a couple of questions. We're, we're, we're almost time for a break. So when we come back, we're gonna, I'm going to ask yeah. you some more specific questions just to drill down a little bit more. But let's take this last minute we have in this first half and just uh, let people know where they can go to complete the, what What I have to say, I, I looked at it this morning. It's a very simple, easy to use sort of fillable form. I was able to pull it right up on my phone um, and uh, ask a few questions. It's not overwhelming. It's not, it, sometimes, you know, when you go to the doctor's office, those questionnaires can be just extensive and exhausting and a repetitive. This is really clear. It's kind of giving you the information you need. And then at the end, there's this lovely space where you can just add more information that we think if it's my child I'm writing about, that you know it would be helpful to you so where do people go for that it's crime watch is the website so, yeah so the best thing to do really is to google sorgatis police department crime watch okay that's key and that will bring you that should bring you directly into that site and then there's a dashboard on the home page mm-hmm. and there's drop down boxes and one of those drop down boxes at the top of the page is for handle with care you just simply click on that and as you said it's a very easy fillable form what I like about it, it gives the, an individual an opportunity to attach a JPEG photo, yep. a picture of the individual, of the loved one. And that's important for us because in this day and age of technology, we can push that photo out immediately. Um, and one thing I want our listeners to understand is we don't share any of the information on that page with anyone else. 
The only time that that information is used is, God forbid, a child goes missing or an adult goes missing, um, and we have to go out and look for them. We can push a photo out. It will make it much easier for our officers to identify who the individuals are, um, or the individual, rather. And and we had a particular case, which I'll talk about in the next segment, um, where we actually had a situation where we put the information out, and just having that photo um, really shortened the amount of time that we would have spent looking for an individual. Fantastic. I, I'm looking forward to getting uh, some more specifics about the um, Handle with Care program when we come back after our, our quick break with Chief Sonagra from the Socrates Police Department. This is 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Alone, our reach is limited. No matter how great our intentions, on our own, we can only stretch so far. But at Rotary, We believe the right group of people working together can make our communities, our world, a better place. Rotary is a worldwide network of community volunteers dedicated to helping people in need. Learn more at rotary.org. Rotary. Humanity in motion. And now, 1 in 44 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and today I'm speaking with Chief Sinagra from the Socrates Police Department about Handle with Care, an incredibly impactful program that's all about uh, being able to provide law enforcement um, with some Pretty simple information about your loved one who might be um, affected by a cognitive or developmental disability with a picture that helps law enforcement, especially uh, the Socrates Police Department, but your affiliates as well, um, to help more efficiently, more effectively um, avoid escalation of of situations that can be handled in a different way or handled with care. Um, Through this, being able to fill out this form that you can find if you Google Socrates Police Department Crime Watch and then go to the menu, you'll see a link for the Handle with Care um, uh, uh, form, fill that out, add a JPEG photo, and you're good to go. So um, my first question in the second half here, Chief, is if, let's say, I'm a parent of of a child who has autism, uh, who sort of I turn for a minute, which happens all too often. Um, you're right there with your child. All it takes is sort of turning away for a moment and, and you, they're gone. Um, I'm calling 911. I'm in the Socrates area. Are 911 officers who are answering that phone, might they ask me if I have a handle with care account or if I filled that out? Is that, is that a question that I might get? Well, if it was here in Socrates, yeah, the answer would be yes here in Sorgades. But, you know, I mean, you could be a Sorgades resident and you could be down in New York City and your child wanders off. It could yeah. be any place. You know, the important thing for us to remember when our children wander off is that the parents stay put. Too often parents try to go out and look for the child. And the problem becomes the child may remember this is where I was last and go back to that spot. And when they don't see their parent there, uh, that just causes more increased anxiety for the child. Mm-hmm. And it drives them even further away because now they just start running and they take off. And we've seen this in many cases. So we always ask the parents, you know, when they call, we tell them, stay where you are. Of course, the parental thing is they want to go look for the child, but it's really important that they stay where they are. And that, that's really beneficial to us. And we will ask um, if it's here in Sorgades. Do they participate in the program? In the meantime, what's really cool, though, about this is we're already going to get have that information from that phone call, who the child is, who the parent is. We're going to run it in our system and see if they've registered. Okay. So we, so even before the officer arrives, the first officer arrives on the scene, can ask that question. Our communication center is already, A, one, ask the question. And number two, when they run the information, there is what we call an alert that comes up on our records management system, and it'll say, 
that that child or that adult is part of the handle of care. They click on that and it brings up all the information about the individual. It brings up their photograph. And just as importantly, it brings up emergency contact information. We may encounter a child um, and we're able to elicit or an adult a name and there is no adult around or there is no care provider around. And, and we've had this happen. And when we run that person in our local system, it comes up that, hey, they're one of our handle with care people. Mm-hmm. And then we'll contact the emergency con- contact number and say, hey, you know, we have uh, so-and-so here. Uh, right. Do you know where they are? And do you know that we're, they're with the police right now? Oh, my gosh, no, I didn't. The last, you know, I thought they were still in the house. Yeah, and that exactly. scenario has played out a number of times, but it's so relieving for both, in this case, when it's a child, a parent, or a, ch- a child of an adult uh, who has a mm-hmm. cognitive disorder. It's really um, how excited and happy they can be at times to know that we are out there looking and keeping an eye out for people that may be in these vulnerable situations. So right. it's not always just about us arresting people. I was going to say, it's, 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 it's the embodiment of what I think law enforcement was always meant to be and what the expectation of a, of a you know, neighbors in a community should have, which is proactive support, caring support, uh, the health and wealth and well-being and safety of, of everybody in that community, um, not, you know, addressing criminal behavior. <laughs> it's like, right. that's, you know, you know to that's me, the, uh, the epitome of policing, uh, was a picture that I saw in the sergeant's office in 1989 when yeah. I went to town of Ulster Police Department. And it was a picture of two police officers walking down a street and each one of them in their hands had a small child that was naked alongside them walking. <laughs> and what inspired me about that photo was the caption was that it was six o'clock in the morning and these two children didn't want to wake their parents up and they wandered outside in the streets of Chicago and they were just playing uh, under tricycles in front of the house. And these cops that were walking the beat came across and saw these children, you know, and they did what they were supposed to do. They took care of those that can't take care of themselves. So to me, that's the epitome of policing. That's what our real responsibility is. I appreciate you saying that so much. I think just, I would say in this day and age, but it's sort of, you could say that every day there's, there's uh, another reason to, I think, to reinforce that message for, for everybody. Um, and certainly for caregivers and, uh, and family members who have a loved one with an additional challenge that makes it so, um, you know, maybe the average person on the street is going to see an adult walking by themselves. They're not going to think anything of it. But if you have the system in place, it makes it much easier for a law enforcement uh, officer to be able to, to recognize that that person actually might need help. Um, there have been some terribly tragic stories also of, of adults with dementia, like you said, and, um, you know, who don't necessarily raise a red flag the way maybe a child walking alone um, might in a, in, a, right. in a crowded area. So so I think it's great. Um, I do have another question. And, and this this is me making an assumption. So you absolutely feel free to tell me that I'm wrong. But um, I've had this conversation with other people who've been on the podcast and sort of talked to me about various types of trainings for, you know, paramedics, other law enforcement um, arms around uh, what you're talking about, the, the ability to be a little more prepared coming on to a scene, how you might stand differently, how you might change the tone of your voice. Or if it's somebody with autism, maybe you recognize that if they're not making eye contact, that doesn't mean that they're being defiant or they're being disrespectful, but but that that's just something that they don't do. Um, but I, I always get this in my head. I'm thinking not that I have any experience with this, but I, I always have this image that training to become a police officer or any sort of emergency responder. A lot of that training, I would think, is about making very quick decisions with a lot of pressure going on at that time and maybe not the ability to think, oh, I have time to think of various options that might be going on instead of the one that's right in front of me. So 
first of all, if I'm right, even in any aspect of that, what has the response been from your officers and the people you work with to this program, including their need to maybe take a look at themselves a little bit and kind of make room for, wait, maybe I do have 10 or 15 seconds to add a couple of different options into my my thought process before I make the next decision I'm going to make. What is that all like in, in your well, office, first, you know, with your peers? No, first of all, I want to tell you, you are 100% correct. And what you just, the statement okay, you just made. Because right? <laughs> we have been, we, law enforcement um, police academies have not changed in the past 50 years in the way that they teach police officers. Society has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the rules of engagement have changed, but the academies have not kept up with it. So there's a paradigm shift here that all law enforcement officials need to recognize. One of the things that we stress here with all of our trainings in-house is time and distance. And this is what they have to implement in the police academy, time and distance. We need to slow down. If mm-hmm. somebody is suicidal um, and, and we end up shooting them because they were holding a gun to themselves, how ludicrous and ridiculous is that scenario? Mm-hmm. Why don't we just back away and try mm-hmm. to talk? We teach our officers now through CIT training, critical instant trauma training. We are teaching the police officers what you initially perceive may not be what's actually occurring. And you just said that and gave an example of that yep. a person who suffers from autism or any type of uh, or an adult with any type of cognitive disorder. We years ago, we said they're being defiant. I told you to comply. Well, some people don't understand what comply means if they're not cognitively encoding the information properly. Mm-hmm. So we have to understand and really take a second. And take, if we step back, we're removing ourselves from that time and distance danger zone. Right. We know that people can move about 30 feet within a very, very quick, you know, within a second or two mm-hmm. towards you. So if you give yourself more distance, you have more time to react. That allows you a greater opportunity and more time to evaluate. What do I actually have here? Mm-hmm. Do I okay. have somebody who's suffering from some sort of cognitive disorder or do I have a person who may be intoxicated or under the influence of narcotics? Um, but if we don't give ourselves that opportunity to take the time to decipher, then we're going to make mistakes. And we've had made mistakes in law enforcement. You know, I admit that from all my counterparts. Um, I know that early on in my career, I was very quick to react because we were told in the academy, you take charge, you take command. Mm-hmm. How come they never told us that maybe the person we're talking to doesn't understand what I'm saying? Maybe yeah. I need to slow down. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to find who's the care provider. And they have that rapport and that'll ease the individual when they see a familiar face and say, oh, okay, everything is okay. Yeah. So that's what I was talking about in the beginning of your segment here about let's try to have positive outcomes. Yeah. Let's get away from all the negativity that's been going on between law enforcement and community, because quite frankly, we've overreacted in the past because that's the way we were taught. Yeah. Do you, thank you for that. Do your, um, have your officers that you work with directly been very receptive to the handle with care program? Do they, do they see it as a, an ad, sort of an additional tool when they're going out, um, you know, for, for their shift? No, they, they actually do. They really do because they know that they're going to be equipped now with information about somebody who might be missing that mm-hmm. otherwise they would not have had without the program. Yeah. So like we had a situation where we do have an autistic child that lives in our community. Actually, we have, have a number of them, but in this one particular case, this child wandered off from the mother. The mother was in a panic. She did the right thing. Like we said, stay right where you are. We were able to, while we were in route to the residents, we were able to pump out to our MDTs, our mobile data terminals, to all the officers that were working, not just in our agency, but in the peripheral police agencies, the child's photo, all the information, and any triggers that the child may have. Yep. And that greatly enhanced our ability. And we also pump it out through what we call, um, we have community notification. 
Mm-hmm. And I had a person stop me. I was driving down the road looking for the child. I had a person stop me and says, Chief, I know you're looking for this person. It came up on my phone. And I think I just saw them over here. And sure enough, within a couple of minutes, we located really? the child in a, in a field. Now, the child had an affinity for water. And the child was walking towards the water. And we were able to get there and intercede before the child made it to the water. So this, you know, these are positive outcomes and these yeah. are good field stories. But what's important is because we have programs like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so and so I'm very grateful. Like I said, at the beginning of the segment, I'm always looking for ways. How do we enhance our ability to better serve the community that we're supposed to protect? Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time on the podcast to continue this conversation. But I will say again, well, I don't know if I've said it already, but, um, you know, the, I think. I'm a believer in, you know, when people hear about this, hopefully you advocate to have similar programs in your neighborhoods, in your communities, whether you're a law enforcement uh, officer and you can create one in your, you know, where you are or you're a family member um, or a legislator or somebody who's listening who might have some ability to advocate for more of these programs. Obviously, that story you just told, I've heard it a million times and too many times it ends in tragedy. Um, and in this case, um, I just love the fact that it wasn't it wasn't even singularly the parent working with law enforcement. It was also a community member who happened to see it and then stopped you. Um, every single one of those things is a choice. The choice that the mom made to call um, and to and to do the, what you said, stay in the right place. The choice that that uh, person walking down the road made to, first of all, be aware of their surroundings, but also flag down an officer and say, hey, I think I saw something. Those are the decisions we are faced with every day. And, and it's it's great to talk to, to you about some of these really um, positive outcomes that you're focused on. So on behalf of everybody at Anderson, on behalf of, you know, certainly myself, my family, it's just great to know that you're out there and you're doing this. So Chief Sinagra, Thank you so much. The Handle with Care program, please, everybody, go check it out on the uh, just Google Socrates Police Department Crime Watch and scroll down uh, on the menu for the Handle with Care program. Sounds like it's really well worth everybody's time and attention. And, and thank you again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And again, that's a perfect example of community policing when community and police work together in a collaborative effort to solve the community's issue. Fabulous. Thank you so much. This is 1 in 44, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski. And remember, Anderson cares. You've been listening to 1 in 44, a weekly presentation of the Anderson Center for Autism. Join us for another edition of the show at this time next weekend.